This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Lowe's knows you'll do it right. And do it yourself to stay within budget when making updates to your bathroom. We do it right, too, by offering up to 20% off select toilets during the final days of our Refresh for Less kitchen and bath event. Step up your style even more with floor tiles starting at just 49 cents a square foot. For your next bath project, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offer valid through 3-6. See store for details, U.S. only. Take the baseline out. Uh-huh. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox Podcast. I am Dan Favalli, coming at you with my super-duper, incredibly esteemed, awesome-timed, awesome-times-awesome, incredible, fantabulous, spectaculario, Andy <laughs> Bailey, my co-host, Andy Bailey. I don't know where I was going with that one. I had, a, I had like, a frog in my throat, and I think I was Spectaculario, just, is, yeah. that's, that's new highs. Um, or new lows, depending on how you want to look at it. Um, we are back. It is time for three-quarter of the Waymark grades for every NBA team. We're a little bit behind because a lot of other crap was going on. We're going to start with the Eastern Conference today. Before we do get underway, though, I just want to remind everyone to please rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Wherever you might listen to podcasts, we especially appreciate those ratings and reviews on iTunes to just let us know who's listening, how we're doing, and we're very close to the century mark. I feel like I've been saying that for a while now, so take the 10 to 15 seconds out of your day. Please go rate and review us and subscribe to us over there, and then once we cross the 100 rating threshold, I'll still be pestering you so that we can get to 200, but let's get to 100 first. Um, we would super appreciate it. Uh, and now the question, though, that everyone is dying to hear. Andy, what do you think about the Timberwolves signing Derrick Rose? <laughs> <laughs> wow. I mean, we, we shouldn't be surprised, I guess. That was like the first team mentioned when he got waived by the Jazz. But I felt like enough time passed that maybe they were they were going to do the, the smart thing and not go for that. But Wow. Is he really going to play over Tyus Jones? You think they'll do that? We haven't seen nothing has like even the Woj report when he first broke it was just it wasn't cryptic, but it was just barren of substance. It didn't say like this is what they're planning for Derrick Rose. So I don't like I I honestly have no idea if they play him at all over Tyus Jones. Like Thibodeau's, I don't. That's inexcusable. Yeah, Yeah. it's unforgivable. Like it, I I kind of get. Kind of. If they don't want to play Bielitsa at the three so much, and maybe you don't start Derrick Rose, but you could go to him and Tyus or him and Teague at different points. I still don't like it, but that's a little bit more forgivable. Or maybe you're just trying to see, is this like a, remember when the Knicks like took that random late season flyer on Lamar Odom to see if he was still worth 
like any sort of investment whatsoever is this kind of like something similar only minus like the drugs and everything like that so i i have no idea the signing to me makes zero sense and i think this just proves that you can't give the timberwolves a random break or any in the middle of the season like they haven't played in a few days so tibbs is probably sitting there thinking bored and he just goes <laughs> and signs their gross oh man well as a jazz fan if if he does play that's likely gonna help them um yeah, man, that was a, a weird signing. I know you saw the tweets that I sent out, but, I mean, he's objectively been one of the bottom ten players in the NBA in the last few years. Is that a stretch? I don't know. Bottom 20? I At least in terms of guys who actually get minutes. I should probably say that. Oh, for sure. Without question. You need Because re- there are some, like, bottom-of-the-bench guys who never get on the floor. Who I think you need to read off at least, like, one of the like the cumulative stat tweets that you, you rattled off because he just ranks so poorly in all yeah. the catch-all categories. Um, okay, I just found the thread, so i got to get to the top of it real quick. Um, 250 players have played at least 5,000 minutes in the last five seasons. Rose is 236th out of 250 in true shooting percentage, 238th in wins over replacement player, 241st in box plus minus, 245th in win shares per 48, and 247th in win shares. <laughs> and I did basically the same thing for like just this season, and it's it's just as bad. And then the other one that's interesting is Tyus Jones. He's ninth in the NBA in real plus minus right now. Derrick Rose is 469th. But Tyus Jones is an actual good defender, and it's funny how many people oh, think yeah. Derrick Rose is better than him. It's just clear that they haven't been. Wild. It's amazing how many people still, to this day, the moment I tweet anything about Derrick Rose, and granted, I'm I'm probably pretty harsh towards him, but there's like an instant onslaught of his um, very angry and vulgar supporters. Oh, this He's is got a very loyal following. Right, I so I tweeted out my Derrick Rose article in the wake of a signing with the Timberwolves about 10 minutes ago and almost immediately uh, roached wolf at JR underscore lone wolf 666. What a, what a oh, Twitter handle oh that. Boy. Yeah, yeah um, <laughs> seems like a great human. He writes to me, fuck you and your bullshit. D. Oh Rose my. is still a great player. He will thrive on any team. He doesn't need to score 25 points a game, just be a factor. I swear you guys are out to ruin his career. Um, and I swear, Mr. Hi. Roached Wolf, that you are a dumbass. Um, I just, look. Well, we'll never be able to ruin his career, even if we wanted to, as long as Tibbs is in the league. Dude, he keeps getting contracts. I, look, <laughs> maybe we're responsible for him not getting that wonder. Like, think about how quick the, the optics have fallen, or at least between his own ears even, where remember the report last year that he wanted like a $150 million deal five years yep. from the Knicks, and now he's out here signing for the minimums. I don't I don't care whether he succeeds or fails. Like I don't get this deranged pleasure out of Derrick Rose failing. He's not yeah. good anymore. It's just it's a fact and even some of his strengths like they don't help. Like what he's so predictable when he attacks because he doesn't really pass. One of the things that I found fascinating last year, so I'm not even using this year because he's only played in 16 games. Last year, over 92% of his pick and roll ball handler possessions ended either in a shot or a turnover. That is remarkable. That's just, like, <laughs> like I just... Holy cow. So, Derrick Rose has not been good. 
Maybe, I'm guessing that's in that article, right? Yeah, that was okay. one. And wow. it's so for this year, it's more than 88% of his possessions uh, as the pick oh and roll gosh. ball handler have ended in a shot attempt or a turnover. That's just for a point guard. I think that's too many. That's you know, like <laughs> yeah. I think that's a safe thing to say. <laughs> so, Holy my yeah, goodness. it was just I. He hasn't been good, and it's. It has nothing to do with us taking pleasure. The only reason this is such a hot topic is because there are so many people who still think he's good. It's yeah. the, they're like the they're the same people who think Al Horford is bad. There is probably someone <laughs> out there who thinks that Al Horford is bad and that Derrick Rose is good. Imagine having those. Two there, there's a there's probably a fun intersection of people who think Rose is better than Horford too. Right, and it's just these people. <laughs> and like, what? How many teams does he have to get just waved by? I shouldn't say wait, but how many teams do you have to get ditched by for people to understand? The Bulls traded him to New York. The Knicks did not resign him. He went to Cleveland, uh, went and pulled the dip on the midseason, and then they trade him. He gets cut immediately by the U- Utah Jazz, and then it even took Tibbs more than a minute to sign him. It's just like it seems like the Timberwolves might might have even had pause. If Jimmy Butler doesn't get injured, does Derrick Rose even have an yeah. opportunity on the Timberwolves? I wonder. I wonder how many people were internally trying to talk them out of this i there's there I, had to have been a contingent that's that was saying no and there had may, to have been maybe it's different if they're just doing this because they want to see what does he have in practice or what could we keep yeah, him on the sort team of for like next season yeah that's kicking the tires I'm, yeah I'm, I'm not against derrick rose rehabilitating his game i just don't think it's going to happen and for what the timberwolves need if they're planning on playing him this is this is a terrible decision I agree. It was uh, certainly made Twitter fun for a few hours this morning, though. Yeah, so we, we got to get in that. Yeah, sure. Whatever. You, I, <laughs> um, it's funny that it just came. Like, it's just you don't expect that kind of a breaking news tidbit from a it was playoff team in March, March eighth. Very random. I'm so used to these uh, tweets from Shams and Woj that are like, random player I've never heard of has signed a ten day contract with the Pistons. <laughs> or you know some random stuff like that so it was like whoa this is a good one um yeah for sure but i, I think um that might be i've had my derrick rose fill for the yeah for the decade i'm ready, I don't know I'm about ready you. to read your article as soon as i as soon as we wrap this up though because i have a feeling that'll be fun not unless not if you love derrick rose it won't be <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna make some burner accounts to come at you Imagine if this these are all just like one person. Up. I don't even think you need burner accounts. There are enough of them out there. They'll they'll speak for you. So don't say anything. <laughs> yeah. and we'll get that's the for hate. sure. Um, so with the grades, we're gonna go. If people want to skip ahead, even though you shouldn't, because that's just mean. Me and Andy have great words to sling. We're gonna try and do this in a adequate time. We've already wasted about ten minutes of the podcast talking about Derrick Rose, but we're gonna try and not do the the whole like six hour grades podcast but if you want to skip ahead we are going in order of reverse record which means where are we starting andy well we've got some options you told me where you wanted to start before we started recording but i already forgot so my apologies i'm gonna go with the 20 and 45 hawks there are three different hey that's where we're gonna start all right sweet so maybe i subconsciously remembered they do have the worst conference record of the three teams tied for the... Well, there you go. There you go. That's the, That was our tiebreaker that we didn't know we were using. <laughs> um, what did you give them? I gave the Atlanta Hawks a C just because 
I mean, they're not good. They're contending for the league's worst record, or at least they're trying to, but everybody and their second cousin's sister, three stepsister, three times removed by six divorces <laughs> or whatever, is trying to get that last spot. But I like what else were we expecting from them this season? I just I honestly don't know. One of the biggest knocks you and I have talked about, and I'm gonna let you get more into is one, it took too long to start playing John Collins a bunch of minutes and they're probably not playing him enough right now as it is, but you look up and down this roster and it's dealt with some injuries this season. You look at Mike Muscala's missed a bunch of time. Uh, DeAndre Bembry, he's currently still out. Uh, he has an abdominal strain, and those can be tricky to come back from. They're really light on secondary playmaking. Malcolm Delaney is, is, is basically their backup point guard, and, and he's out at the moment with an ankle injury. So you use Kent Bazemore and Torian Prince and even Bembry at points this season. Those were guys that they were testing out as these pick-and-roll ball handlers. I don't know what else you're supposed to expect from them. And so this would probably be a good time for the criteria. We're looking at the entire season. A bunch of recent stuff obviously plays into it, but we have to do this relative to expectations. And it's not like we thought the Hawks were going to contend for a playoff spot. So a 20-45 and record means that they deserve an F minus, minus, minus. They've dealt with injuries. Um, and I don't think you could have expected them to be much better than this. Even if you said Dwayne Denman would have played the entire year, and I still remain a, a big Dwayne Denman fan, but I, I think a C is fair for them. I still have you and our NBA math founder Adam Frommel on the last podcast tried to make me lower on Torian Prince. I am not there yet, even though he is shooting under 32% from deep over his last 10 games. I think he's really important to what they do defensively. Come, I think he'll come along as a pick-and-roll ball handler, and, and I still remain super high on him. I do like John Collins. And one of the questions I want to throw to you uh, as you go and talk about whatever you gave whatever grade you gave the Hawks was, what do you think Dwayne Dedman is ultimately going to do with his player option? Just because a lot of people are under the assumption that he's going to decline it and enter free agency, I don't see the market for bigs being necessarily aggressive enough for him to leave $6.3 million on the table. That's more than the taxpayer's mid-level exception. I don't know that someone's going to give him close to all of the mid-level exception, which is going to check in it. I think it's like eight point six million dollars next season. So I'm very interested to see what he what he does with, with that situation. And also, can we just pour one out for Ursan Ilyasova and Marco Bellinelli, who are now members of the Sixers? <laughs> yes, we can. Um, as for Deadman, I so we've talked about this a lot on the podcast. The, the money is going to be tight this summer, and where, I mean, where would he even rank among big among big men who'll be available? DeAndre Jordan will be out there. Um, that's probably the only guy who might get a max. Is it, oh, well, we have Boogie Cousins, too, right? Oh, his free agency is going to be so fascinating, too. But uh, still, like nobody's paying Dwayne Dedman more than Boogie, obviously. Even even with him coming out the Achilles, that's not going to be close. Right, and, if and, anybody's going to be using cap space on a big, it's not going to be... Capella. Yeah, it'd be Capella. I'd maybe yeah. they would, someone would put Nurkic ahead of him, even though I'm not so sure if I would do that. The other thing is, though, when you're looking at uh, even so, let's use the biggest names: Demarcus Cousins or Deon or DeAndre Jordan. Which teams are even going to pay them? There will be teams. That oh yeah, do it, it's going to be but weird. You, you sure. can't single them out. Like it might just be their incumbent teams, and that's it. And the fact that we can't come up with 
these surefire suitors for them, really, at least not easily, I don't think that's going to bode well for the the second-tier guys. And we'll throw Nurkic under that. Um, Nerlens Noel, of course, Brooke Lopez, if you still want to put him in the second tier. So I... I could see him opting in if he's getting there, unless he thinks there's just a long-term deal out there and he's ready to lock up, like, maybe it's less money, maybe three years and $15 million or something, or three years of the taxpayer really just gets him um, to do it, or maybe even two years. Maybe two years and $10 million is just enough because it guarantees him money. We'll, we'll have to wait and Your see. extra mail, yeah. Um, we're getting kind of off topic now, but... Well, it's part I of it. I think it was... Well, yeah, I, I was going to say, I think it was Jared Dudley... On a low post, or maybe it was on Bill Simmons. I wish I could remember who it was. But somebody asked him, do you guys regret not taking up the league on their proposal to do some cap smoothing? And he was like, yeah, we blew that. Because <laughs> if you were a free agent in the summer of 16, you hit the lottery, and everyone else is kind of... Jared Dudley uh, was one of those free agents, though, was he not? Or did he get signed the summer I, after? I wish I could, I'm not 100% sure it was Jared Dudley was the guest, but it was a current player. So I think I think that's who it was. But yeah. Do you um, think even some 2016 free agents might regret it a little bit? And you would have to be on the younger side hoping for another big deal. Yeah. After that, like a Harrison Barnes, maybe, you know? Uh, just because, yes, he got yeah, his Yeah, because contract. his next deal is going to be. Because, yeah, that's a good point. Because now you're not. He's not opting out after next season. There's just no, no way. way. So. Yeah. What happens after that? So that, that might maybe some of them regret it. Um, a guy like Alan Crabb, he shouldn't regret it. Or Evan Turner <laughs> at four years, 70, just because they got – it's life-changing money either way. But th- there might be some 2016 free agents who, who lament the absence of smoothing. And whether or not yeah, – I don't want to get into like workers' rights. And I know Michelle Roberts uh, was – the NBA PA director was against it. So there, there's all this like di- different things that go into it. But that summer really – it, yeah. it messed up at least the next two years, dating back to last summer, and then now this summer. And last... this this one's going to be worse. Yeah, so that's and we'll have to see how it responds in 2019. Um, okay, so back to the Hawks. I, <laughs> so I think <laughs> we went from Atlanta's grades to cap smoothing. Yeah, you're welcome, everybody. I think I'm with you. Deadman might want to pick up that option. Um, you mentioned Collins playing time. So I gave him a C minus. So pretty close to where you were with the C. Um, I'm not going to go lower. I mean, they're in contention for the worst record in the league, but like you said, this is kind of what we should have expected from them. And the reason I'm, I'm dinging them maybe a little bit more than you are is I do think it took them too long to start playing John Collins. And they, like you said, they really aren't even yet. There was a stretch in the middle of the season where they were starting I think Miles Plumley and Ersano Yaseva for a few games, and it was I just you were never going to be competing for any kind of playoff position. It just put your young guy out there and see what he can do, get him some more experience. Even now, he's only playing twenty five point seven minutes um, over their last ten games, so that even that's not enough. He should be playing thirty five, thirty six uh, all season. He's led the team in basically any sort of catch all stat you can think of so that's a guy who should have been on the floor um to me and on the season he's averaging 16 points 11 rebounds uh one steal per 36 minutes he's he's been good so that that's sort of my biggest gripe with them is it took him too long to and like we've said like three times now they're still not quite doing it so that's why i'm gonna go with a c minus for the hawks so i think we're kind of in the same boat there can you 
Tell me who leads the Hawks in true shooting percentage over their last ten games. Oh, jeez. Um, Deadman. Yes, sixty-one point <laughs> seven true shooting percentage over the last ten games, and that's with him averaging. That's another thing that's maybe two point seven three point attempts per game during that span. Nice. He's, he's just he's still good. another reason for him to maybe pick up the option because I. That's starting to work, the Collins-Deadman duo. And I think you looked up their most-used lineup of late, too, didn't you? Yeah, their most-used lineup over the last 10 games is Bazemore, Schroeder, Collins, Deadman, and Prince. And it is, it's a small sample size, 73 minutes, only five appearances, plus 17.7 per 100 possessions, though. And that's just, if you bring, I mean, four of those guys are going to be back next year. And if Deadman opts in, you're going to evolve them back. And if you're the Hawks, you've... You'll have had all these first-round picks already. Maybe your the lottery format will have changed. Maybe you're not really necessarily looking to tank, and that just might be, you know, that's the lineup we throw out, and then you work your way back from there. That's an interesting bunch on paper, too. Just hearing the names read out together, it's like a lineup that makes sense to me. I am in, uh, yeah, the, but I love the Deadman-John Collins uh, with Deadman shooting threes because I, I like the idea yeah. of having kind of John Collins as a small ball five. A lot of people don't like that just because he doesn't have – the, the size to do it per se but when you have Deadman on the court it's almost like it doesn't matter sort of deal it still matters a little bit um they are though when you play Collins and Deadman over the last 10 games uh in 145 minutes they were minus 4.5 per 100 possessions the defense is okay the offense has just been atrocious but that's just I mean that's the Hawks in a nutshell um John Collins has hit some corner threes too so if he can if it's like maybe four or five of them but if he keeps doing that, that's something to keep an eye on too. Do you think um, he could like ever we, survive as a, at like for heavier minutes at the five? Yeah, I do. I mean, he's six ten, two hundred forty pounds, uh, and the game is like as it trends more and more towards positionless. I, I almost think he might have to play some five in a couple years. Yeah, that, that's actually also fair. I really the one thing, and before we move on from the Hawks, I'm, I want to see more of him, or maybe this would be. This is probably the year to do it a little bit is what the the thing to me that, okay, let me try and wrap my head around what I'm trying to say. The thing to me that really separates him from being, oh, is he going to be another specialist star like a Clint Capella or DeAndre Jordan? Or can this be someone that you can really build around where he's your your best or even second best player on a championship team? Like what's going on with his face-up scoring abilities? Because he's it, he's not like Capella or DeAndre Jordan. It looks like he has the handle to kind of make that work. And the Hawks haven't let him test too much of that this season. He's averaging under half a drive per game, and he's shooting under forty percent on them. So it's not necessarily like he's earned the opportunity. But that is kind of a key. To me, anyway, just to his development is what is this guy going to look like when you're giving him the opportunity to work with the ball in his hands? And you know, right now we don't. He averages. Uh, he's attempting under. He's attempting zero point two shots per game on average, where he takes up more than two dribbles. And again, you don't necessarily need that from your big. And there's something valuable in people who just own their role. But I'm just interested to see if he can ever branch out. I don't think he'll necessarily be a strong post-up option. Maybe he can get a jump hook going or a nice little floaters. But I'd like to just—he just looks like he might be able to work off the dribble at some point. I'd, I'd like to see it. I think in the not too distant future, um, 
pretty much every big man's going to have to be able to create a little bit for himself. Uh, I, I, we're not. I don't think we're too far off from Langlitz being like five, six, six, and up guys who can all do a little bit of everything. And I think Collins is like he. I, I can see him being able to survive in that league. I'm interested to see it. Um, that brings us to the Orlando Magic, who are also twenty and forty-five. Let's let's throw it to you. What did you give them? Um. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> I gave him an F. Oh, I'm trying to. I, I don't. I don't know if I should have been that hard on him. Now, now that I'm like saying out, out I lo- loud, I love this stream of consciousness right now. <laughs> I'm here for it. I mean, they were pretty good to start the season. Maybe that's why I'm lower on them than I was the Hawks. And there was signs that they might be okay. Oh, I kind of remember one of the things that I was very down on them for. I would hope so. so if you gave him an F. <laughs> I'm a great teacher. Um, <laughs> Okay, so there's that. They, I mean, they showed that they can be better than what they are right now, I think. Um, the Alfred Payton trade was a giant fail, in my opinion. <laughs> All they got for him was a second-round pick, right? Yeah. That guy's talented. He's. I mean, he's. your team wasn't playing great, and maybe there was some like internal strife with him there, but he's on his rookie contract, and now he's averaging, like, I don't know, last time I checked, it was like 16-8-8 eight, eight with the Suns. Um, and then on top of that, so that's one guy you've given up on, on his rookie contract. I think my favorite Orlando magic thing of this entire season is the fact that they declined Mario Hazonia's option before the season even started. And this guy is balling now Uh, since January 1st, he's averaging, um, 18.6 rebounds and two steals per 36 minutes. Um, nearly league average and three point percentage, just under 50% in field goal percentage. Um, there's there's been stretches like week or two long stretches where he's basically been Orlando's best player. He's he, he's the most exciting thing on the floor for them and uh, for a team that has Aaron Gordon. That's saying something. Um, that's another guy they just gave up on. And I we've talked about this on the podcast too. There's like almost no way they're going to get him to come back um, because they can only pay him the option that they turned down, which I think you've written about. It was like 6 million bucks or something, which is what he was going to make next season. Yeah, 5.2 or something. I don't, I mean, the caveat. Somebody's going to pay him more than that. And even if they, even if they don't, it'll be the difference between coming back and taking less to play elsewhere really will be. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, And if, even if somebody offers him like three years, 15 million, um, are you going to take, are you going to pass on that security to go back to the team that like just wrote you off? Right. Um, so that's uh, those three reasons, I think, are the, the main ones that I'm so much lower on Orlando than I was on Atlanta. And I don't know if there's – so we, we when we were talking about Atlanta, I mean, you mentioned that lineup. There's some things that you can sort of look to and be optimistic about with the future. Um, I don't really know what reason Orlando has to be optimistic. Um Vucevic is a good player, but I mean that's not somebody that you're going to build a contender around going forward. Uh, there's still that Biombo contract on the books. I mean, there's just been so many uh, errors <laughs> made by that team over the last couple of years, and I, I think it's all just sort of culminating in this this ramp that I'm giving them right now. The defense has been better of late for them. They're 16th in points allowed per 100 possessions over their last 10 games, which is something to look forward to. I'm just trying to put a positive spin on it. Jonathan Isaac 
when he's healthy has been. Oh, that's another one. I was going to say that guy needs to be playing center along uh, with Aaron Gordon at the power forward. That's another thing that I'm annoyed about, but keep going. Right. He's so raw offensively, but he just, he already provides something of a defensive punch for them. The, the long-term lineup that I'd be really interested to watch for them is just the Jonathan Simmons, Jonathan Isaac, Aaron Gordon combinations. Like, have those guys line up as your 3-4-5. And even though Simmons is a little bit undersized for the three, there's just, it seems like a lot of potential there. Uh, with You have Gordon's ball handling. Isaac should be able to do some ball handling. Simmons is a good facilitator. They can all do a lot of things. They haven't really played together much this season. Isaac has been injured. Gordon dealt with some problems. They've played 37 minutes together uh, this year, and their defensive rating actually during that time is spectacular. The offensive rating is not, but that's not surprising. They have to figure things out on offense probably more than defense. You're going to lose a really good shot creator, it looks like, in Hazonia, who is still... I question uh, Super Mario's ability to be a consistent outside shooter maybe if you're dealing with better spacing his percentages will go up but you said he's right around the league average during his tear he's under 32 percent over his last 10 games and if you're not going to be a guy who gets to the free throw line a ton uh, he does get there but he doesn't get there a ton you really need to kind of leverage at least somewhat of an outside shot but again maybe on a different team uh, alongside better passers and better spacing those numbers will go up the other and he's thing, also just turned 23, so... And he just basically started playing. Yeah. And, um, the other thing that's been just... I, I, don't, I don't know what to file this under, but this is why I think... Part of the reason why I think some team is going to regret giving Aaron Gordon a lot of money, he has some of the physical tools of a wing on offense, but his just... The shot creation for himself is just not there when you're looking for a go-to guy. Almost 31% of his total looks have been pull-up jumpers this year. He's shooting under 32% on them. He's barely shooting 31%. His effective field goal percentage is under 36%. His three-point percentage has plummeted overall since that 8-4 and four start. It's rebounded a little bit of late. He's been very good off the catch, but... Over the Magic's past 10 games, he's appeared in eight of them, 36% of his total looks are coming as pull-up jumpers, and he has an effective field goal percentage of 25 on those. That's 21.4% shooting overall and 15.8% shooting on pull-up threes. If you want him to be your go-to guy, a max-level player, someone who can be the best player on a better-than-average team— Kid, that's going to need to come, and maybe this is the first real season he's gotten an opportunity to do it in a role, in a position uh, that semi-suits him, give him a better point guard. Things can change, but what's going to be key to his development, just because I don't ever see his shot making chops ever reaching the level of go-to scorer, the, the Magic need to get a, a point guard in here, and it would almost help if they don't end up just winning amazing. the lottery. Right, it would, <laughs> it would almost help if they don't end up winning the lottery, and they just get pigeonholed into a position where Trey Young becomes a no-brainer, maybe. Yeah. You don't want to reach for Trey Young because you need to hit on this pick. At the same time, the Magic have not done a good job of making draft picks. Um, uh, while you were talking, I looked up Gordon's uh, shooting numbers. And over that 8-4 and four start you mentioned, he was shooting 56.8% from the field and 59.5% from three. Since then... So basically the bulk of the season. 
He's 41.6% from the field and 30.3% from three. Yeah, I've looked at so those. So his overall numbers are still being buoyed by that first, like, two weeks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I've i literally – I've looked at those numbers so many times, and it's just I, – I, I honestly can't. It's bad. And it's incredible that we talk about how they need a point guard, but their lineup – or their roster now is Shelvin Mack and DJ Augustine. They just traded Alfred Payton. It, the thing with Alfred Payton, though, is did you want to pay him – and I don't know that you could. That's just, understandable. I don't but know for that, a second round pick, right? But it it depends on what you thought. If you want, you didn't. You don't want him to prohibit your decision making on draft day to select a point guard. You don't want to lose him for nothing. You also, it's so tough to figure out. Hey, what is this guy worth? And yeah. it, would his next contract be movable? Uh, um. All right. I think we. Did you say what you gave the Magic? I don't know if we got your letter grade for them. Um, I gave them a D, so it's not like I was much oh, higher we on them okay. than you, but I, you, an F was just – they've dealt with a ton of injuries this season. You look at Terrence Ross, Vucevic, uh, just just so many uh, that I don't think I could give them an Here's, F. Even Aaron Gordon, Isaac, I would love to see more of him. Simmons dealt with some stuff, I, I believe, this year. So that, that Last is, thing I'll say before we move on is uh, Peyton is averaging 15.7 points, 7.7 rebounds, and 7.6 assists. For the Suns. Um, What's their offensive rating with him on the court, though? I probably should have looked that up. Exactly. I know I did this within the last couple days, so it's probably still fairly up to date. But when when him and Booker share the floor, the net rating is still a minus, but it's it's like significantly better than Phoenix's overall. Also, I, the the Magic's offense with Alfred Payton on the floor was good. It was he's not a good defensive player, and I, we've talked about this a few times on the pod. He's the rare guy who seems like he's regressed on defense uh, since his rookie season, which is crazy because you you don't say that about anybody. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but their their offense was fine this season. I think they scored like a top ten offense when he was in the game. Yeah, it was a weird move to me. Um, I mean, I get the reasons that you laid out but i just when i heard him for a second round pick and nothing else i was surprised all right Um, next we have the brooklyn nets another 24 or 20 and 45 team um i hate to call out uh fellow media members on this podcast but i think chris mannix recently deleted a tweet when he was talking about how the nets are going to make the playoffs because they have jaleel okafor and D'Angelo Russell. I mean, he's a he is a very obvious Celtics guy, so it's kind of funny. Um, suddenly, that pick that the Cavaliers acquired from the Nets, it's looking pretty good. Uh, um. Anyway, yeah, the Nets are twenty and forty-five. They are trending towards the worst record in the league. Um, I will let you give your grade first on this one. I gave them a C. And you could probably go lower just because they've been really bad. Their recent stretch, they're 1-9 over their last 10. They've lost four in a row. Their goal of winning 30 games this season at 20-45 and 45 as we kind of go through, as we're doing this right now, they're, they're not going to hit it. But again, this is a team that's, what did you expect from them? And a lot of people killed the Celtics for trading for Kyrie Irving because they thought this pick was going to was going to be in the top three. And yes, it could mm-hmm. still fall in the top three, but right now the Nets have would have top five. Lot, there's a, a coin toss is need to take place. The amount the amount of 20 and 45 teams in the league right now is hysterical. There are five of them. So, yeah. it's, so it's just, 
I, 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 it could still happen, but what did you expect from this team? You traded for D'Angelo Russell. He misses most of the year. You, you haven't really had a real center situation. The Jaleel Okafor trade, you gave up a guy in Trevor Booker who was going to help you win in the system that you were playing, and you take just so that you could get a second-round pick, that's fine, and Jaleel Okafor has not been good, and I don't think they did the trade for him. I would have been, and when they've played him, they've just been absolutely awful. So I don't have an, an issue with anything that's happened for them this season. To me, it's it's there are two things that are that are crucial, and I'm I'm actually not sure. And I I think Kenny Atkinson's a fantastic coach, but the the one thing that I, he probably needs to go to more is just additional minutes for the backcourt of Spencer Dimwitty yeah. and D'Angelo Russell, because you have both of those guys. I agree. Uh, they've played in each of the last Nets last ten games. But 151 minutes, that's 50, That's 15 minutes a game. Yeah, that, that's fine. Their, net, their offense has been fine, but the defense, a defensive rating of 115.1 when they're both on the floor. And you, you need to figure that out because both them, both of them plus Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, they're going to need new contracts next summer. All of them are extension eligible leading into this offseason. So that, that's something you need to experiment with. And I like what they've done with Jared Allen. They've really... Uh, they've really let him branched out a little bit on offense. He has this kind of nifty floater uh, that a lot of people didn't, I don't think they really saw. And one last thing I'll say about them that I would like to see more of is let's get like the Karras, Levert, Spencer, Dimwitty, um, D'Angelo, Russell, Rondé lineups going and maybe throw Jared Allen in there and like let that five man unit kind of, kind of cook because that, that, like I don't think that lineup has seen the, and again, injuries factor into this, but it hasn't seen the light of day over the last 10 games. And according to NBA.com right now, it hasn't seen the light of day at all this season. Like that, I just, I'd like to see more experimenting there. I get that you want to play Alan Crabb and, and Amari Carroll, but this, this does need to be about seeing how your youth plays off one another because this roster is about to require some reinvestments. Even Levert's going to be extension eligible after next season. So I give them a C. I like that lineup a lot. Um, how tall was Levert? He's six five, right? I think he's six six, if I'm not mistaken. So that so means you like, got you got three six 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 five guys. That that makes sense. Levert to me. can play the three, and Hollis Jefferson basically plays the floor exclusively. They tested him at the five, and it's decisions like that again that allowing Jared Allen to branch out a little bit offensively. They still give Spencer Dimwitty somewhat free reign, even though his shooting percentages have dropped. I, I think the Nets have done a solid job. But I, I would like to kind of see them just – maybe that's just a bias too. I want to see that lineup or I want to see more of Dinwiddie and, and D'Angelo Russell together as well. Yep. Um, I agree with you. That that was a note that I made before we started recording actually was the the Dinwiddie-Russell lineup. I want it to get some more minutes too. It is minus 3.6 points per 100 possessions this season, which doesn't sound great, but it is better than Brooklyn's overall. Net rating, which is minus four point eight right now, and their offensive rating um, is like one ten plus, right? With those two, yeah, and so so I think there's like a lot of signs, and if you are committed to to reinvesting in these guys, that I feel like that's got to be your backcourt of the future, at least for the next few years. So get them as much or as many reps as you can. Um, I'm with you. Jared Allen's been really good. Hollis Jefferson has showed up in my stats threads a lot this season. Like he's a sneaky good post player. Um, he's been one of the better role men in the league basically all season. So there's a lot to like about this Nets team. And I think we've mentioned this a bunch of times, but just another shout out to Sean Marks because to, <laughs> to inherit the situation that he did. And I, I don't think he's made a bad move since they've been there. Um, 
I even think taking a flyer on Jaleel Okafor was worth it. Like you said, there's there's some talk that they just wanted the second round pick, um, but heck, if you get a if you get a one season shot at a guy who was the number three pick, just to see maybe maybe our system can help this guy, it's worth it. Um, obviously, it didn't really help him, but they didn't really lose anything by taking that chance. So I have loved um, a lot of what Brooklyn has done this season. I gave him a C minus. I put him in the same boat as the Hawks. Just because, yes, they are in contention for the worst record in the league. There, there's certainly reason for optimism, uh, but just sort of their general trajectory right now that that puts me at a C minus for them. Their, their, his Sean Marks. I agree with everything he said. His job's just about to get a lot harder because you re, you regain the rights to your own draft picks now. Yes, the lottery format is changing, but it still behooves you to have one of the three worst records and a better shot at the number one pick. Do you start tanking? How much do you pay some of these guys that have showed out in a non-winning environment? The last note on the Nets, just to prove um, what I've liked about Jared Allen, I did not know that he had like a, a hook shot coming in. I don't watch a ton of college basketball until right before the draft, and I didn't see a ton of him last year. He's 22 of 41 on hook shots this year for 53 point. Huh. Seven percent, and he's not. What this was the other thing that got me on turnaround hook shots. He's nine of fourteen, sixty-four point three percent, and it's nice. just watching him. He pulls him out every once in a while. So I like, I like seeing that. Um, if you're done with the Nets, that means we are. Unless you have anything to add, that means we are going to move on to the Chicago Your Bulls. Team. Yeah, screw that. Oh wait, I, I missed the Bulls. Never mind. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so what, <laughs> anyway, the Bulls were warned because they were tanking too hard, essentially, uh, by the league who has taken a, a hardline stance against tanking ever since Mark Cuban's comments about basically telling his I, team. They were I tanking. feel like essentially could mean a lot of different things, but the, keep going. Well, the thing for me here is, and this is part of the Bulls discussion. I so, think you missed it. I was, I was, I was poking fun at your pronunciation there. Oh, what did I say? Essentially, I have. I was trying to make this podcast a little bit more sensual. You just couldn't let it go. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. People come here for the ambiance too, Andy. They come here for okay. my mispronunciations, which I've really been trying to work on. But I, I feel like I have an undiagnosed or like subconscious speech impediment. But what? Anyway, uh, the, this is part of the Bulls' discussion. Doesn't it create a little bit of a slippery slope that the NBA, from what we gathered, essentially? said to the Bulls that you, that, that, you need, that you need to play Robin Lopez and Justin I Conley. want to know what pictures were in this email now from the league office to the Bulls. <laughs> okay, so in all seriousness, what does like what does that mean? The Lakers, Luel Dang is healthy, but they've told him to take his ball and go home. This and, was weird news to me, too. And the same thing with Joe Kim Noah. Is it different because Noah's not going to help the Knicks? I want to know where, or because they haven't well, really played Justin this season. How Holiday going to help the Bulls either? Either. But that's my point, though. Is like, why? Yeah. Why is this the situation? Like, are we going to also? You know, we're talking about Tyreek Evans in Memphis is dealing with a rib injury right now. Should we investigate the legitimacy of said injury? I, you know what I mean. So it's just, I just like the severity of it or something. So I don't know where you draw the line. I thought it was interesting, in, unless something happened just behind the scenes where Garpax was. Basically flaunting to another executive, like yeah, we're we're punting right now. We won too yeah, many games with Miritich. So, um, but what? What anyway? I I just found that weird, and I think it creates a slippery slope. How do you monitor it elsewhere? Because if you don't, now you sort of to me, I think you look a little bit like a hypocrite. And Dang would be a perfect example to me. 
yeah. just, just because he has been healthy. And he's someone, when you look at what the Lakers need, especially with Ingram and Josh Hart out, they could actually use him. But anyway, what did you give the Bulls? I think I um, I think I think quote tweeted, I think it was Woj who broke that story, and, and right after he did, uh, there's more reasons than tanking to not to play your young guys. I mean, they're 22 and 42. There's no reason to play veterans <laughs> at this point. So and I thought they, that they pick on that market and I just, because that's a market that can maybe float a team that's tanking. You wouldn't pick on. Yeah, I, I just I I'm completely baffled by it. And why haven't we seen since then? I, I just I, I'm like, where do you? There has to be a line somewhere, right? Like, what are you? Yeah, I thought it was weird too, for sure. Um, and then like. <laughs> Yeah, how do you even draw that line? Is it okay if they play Holiday and, and Lopez five minutes a game? It is funny, though. I, I, this is one thing I will say. So that news, when did that news come out? Bulls were warned for tanking on March. Maybe a week or two ago. Was it really that long? Maybe a week? I, I don't think know. it was two days ago. Which would, oh, But it was just interesting that right before the report came out, I believe you saw Tyson Chandler play a, a total – of like forty something minutes for I think it was forty four minutes for the for the Suns over two games. That was it was just too, he was yeah. out for he sat out did not play for um, I think it was six straight and all of a sudden he's playing twenty six minutes and almost eighteen minutes I, that can't be a coincidence either. No, for sure. Um, I gave them a C minus. So like I said, I've given a few C minuses to the East right now. It's sort of my pet grade for these teams that are going for the bottom. Um, a lot of the same reasons. They're obviously not good, but they do have some reasons for optimism. I think, you know, Laurie Markkinen has not been as great as he was at the start of the season, but I think he's shown me enough to to believe in him. Um, maybe not as like a future multi-time all-star, but I think he's solid. Uh, and even I'm looking at his overall numbers, and they're still pretty good. I felt like they had fallen off a little bit, but... 15 points a game, 43% from the field, 35 from three. For a guy who's taking six threes a game, that's that's pretty dang good. Um, so I'm high on him. I don't know why, but I'm still kind of high on Denzel Valentine. Um, so I think they've got a couple of pieces in place. If they add you know, another good player to the mix with this tankathon that they've joined in, um, more power to them. So they're... They're in kind of the same boat as the Hawks and the Nets. I feel like the, those those other two teams have a slightly brighter future, um, just because I, I certainly trust those front offices more than I trust Garpax. No, but <laughs> but I'm going to give them a C minus as well. I gave them the same grade. They they have a lot of for a team that doesn't seem like it has a very bright future. I'm intrigued by so many of their players. You look at Bobby Portis and Marketing, Chris Dunn, even Zach Levine has to kind of be thrown in there a little bit. Uh, it's just they're, they don't have to necessarily reinvest in their roster this year, but Zach Levine's going to be a restricted free agent, and you have Bobby Portis, who's extension eligible, and there was a report that said that they are interested um, in in extending him if it's possible. I'm, I'm And they just traded jimmy butler for levine so you're kind of locked into that too yeah they it's they almost have to make one like what the nuggets did with mason Plumley, where it's like well well shit we have a first round pick for him so we need to resign him yeah it's kind of that situation the lineup that i've been happy that they've been playing lately is the dunn levine marketing nuaba portis lineup and that they they've been straight fire 
offensively with a bad defense, but that's that defense is going to happen when Portis and Markkinen are your primary bigs. Maybe one of them can get appreciably better. You're, the bet is probably Portis would project as a better mobile rim protector. I think Markkinen can be okay from a stationary position. I, you probably need a different wing in there, uh, but I, I love that combination, and it has an offensive rating of 108.5 over the Bulls' last 10 games, and they've made six appearances. I, the, I'm just interested in seeing stuff like that. And even, you know, I even like I, like the Nuaba, Cameron Payne, Portis, Denzel Valentin, Noah Vonley lineup that we've seen over the past five games or so. That's been really interesting to me on both sides of the ball. I wouldn't call myself a Payne apologist, but I was really impressed by some of the stuff he did as a rookie in Oklahoma City. And if you can put him as kind of like a spark plug off the bench and just this just this jitterbug who goes all over the place. I think they're just some really interesting lineups and they have some interesting players here. And I'm, I'm happy. I was happy that they were exploring some of these lineups. Justin Holiday and Robin Lopez kind of crimped that style a little bit. We know they're not going to play 35 minutes per game, but I want to see more of these lineups. Like just for the sake of argument, just argument sake, the two lineups I just talked about, like, aren't those just objectively fun to you to watch? There are just so many different things the Bulls can do. I want to see more of Dunn, Levine, Markin, and Denzel Valentin instead of Nawaba, and then you throw Portis in there too. I yeah. am interested to see what direction they go in the offseason, though, because they do need a wing. Justin Holiday doesn't really qualify. He can't guard a lot of the bigger wings, even though he can try. Nawaba, maybe a little bit. Zach Levine is not a wing. Denzel Valentine's not a wing. If they landed in the top three, I'd want to see them take. Depending on how Michael Porter Jr. looks, he'd be good for them. You also have Luka Doncic, who is your favorite person in the world. And then <laughs> they're going to have cap space over the summer. This will be the last thing I say on them is that they can basically – they don't have to do much, and, and they can really easily get to $20-plus million in room. Jabari. That's not a wing either. <laughs> I just, I just want to see what just they're going to – I just want to see what they're gonna they're gonna do there, and if they invest in if they give Jabari an offer sheet while re-signing Zach Levine, that is like somebody uh, recklessness. Somebody, I think it was Jason Pat. He's um, runs FanRag Sports. Somebody tweeted at him. Just wait for guard packs to max out Jabari. It was kind of funny to see his. What would you do yeah. if you're the Bucks and you have to worry about the tax implications? I don't think they would let Jabari walk either, just because you didn't trade him and to lose a guy like that for nothing. But could you imagine the Bulls paying max or near max money to both Levine and Parker next season? <laughs> I can imagine it, actually. All right, then. <laughs> um, not for good reasons, but I can. I can certainly. I imagine. I don't want to see them waste their cap point. space. I would rather see them go, and I think I told you this, or maybe I wrote about it. I'd like to see them go after someone like Glenn Robinson the third, like just this, yeah, like kind of a younger like guy, a, yeah, cheaper. Yeah. Who and you could just experiment with. That's that's the direction I'd want them to go. So if I didn't say it before, I gave them the same grade as you, and and that's a C minus in large part because they won too many damn games with Nikola Mirotic. So yeah, they need to be tanking. Um, last thing I'll say on them, I did that fats thread the other day which is factor adjusted team similarities it's a it's a number that adam Frommel came up with and it's over at nba math um so when the bulls when when portis is on the floor the bulls play like a 44 win team and when he's off the floor they play like a 20 win team which i thought was interesting um moments this year no no arguments for me you know who hasn't had his moments this year yeah this is your true favorite team Jeff Hornacek has not had many of his moments <laughs> this year. Was that one season in Phoenix just kind of a fluke? I 
Yes, but their record proved it. They went all in on that roster. I Look, I, here's my thing with Jeff Hornacek, and a lot of people are wondering whether he'll be back next year. There are two things that really stop me from saying, maybe actually three things that stop me from saying he should be fired. He has one year left on his deal. One, I don't like saying that people should be fired because people yeah. say it to me on Twitter and I'm not <laughs> making millions of dollars. And it's just, it's a shitty thing to say. It, it comes in yeah, the territory if you're a player, but it's different for, I, I don't even like saying it with players when I write trade pieces. I try and remember that when I'm when I'm penning those. The other thing is, unless he's been told from the front office, hey, Frank Nielakina needs to lead us in minutes the rest of the season, I'm not going to crucify him for playing Frankie Smokes under 25 minutes a game. Like, that's a collective decision that has to be made between him and the front office, and we don't know if Scott Perry and Steve Mills have told him to do that. If he's defying direct orders, okay, fine. I get it. Michael Beasley over the last 10 games is second in minutes per game. That is objectively stupid for a team like this. <laughs> uh, Michael Beasley has changed the optics surrounding his persona. He can get you buckets at points, even though, would you like to know the Knicks' offensive rating with him in the game these last 10 games? 99.2. 99.2. 99.2. the third worst on the team uh, in front of only Jarrett Jack and Kyle O'Quinn. I, I, like, I get those frustrations, but we have to know what's kind of happening behind the scenes there. Unless he's defying a direct order, I don't know that there's enough grounds to fire him. And the final thing that I don't think people are talking about, the Knicks are not teaming with upside. So to change no. the coach before Kristaps Porzingis comes back from his ACL injury, which will be December at the earliest of next year, what is the point? Are you making the change because of Neil Akina, because you're this huge believer in Moutier and Burke, that's just or or Tim Hardaway Jr. Please let's don't even get me started on the, the Tim Hardaway Jr. experience this year. Um, I it's just I, I don't maybe you should just wait it out. You're not going to be good next year. You're not playing for anything special, and I don't think you're going to ruin Frank Neil Akina's develop. Maybe you do if Jeff Hornacek's there, and if that's what you're looking at, oh, we wanted him to be developed as more of a point guard. Then yeah, that would be a cause to get rid of Hornacek. At the same time, you signed Trey Burke and traded for Emmanuel Moutier. That's not the way to develop Frank Nielakina as a point guard. So I've been utterly disgusted by the Knicks all season. <laughs> I resisted giving them an F and went with a D minus. Oh. I don't even, I don't, I don't think they're, it, regardless, this has nothing to do with, it has something to do with Hornacek. I, I, I misspoke there, but it, it, the front office has to be involved. Like why is Michael Beasley still playing? Yeah, why, why, like, why is Tim Hardaway Jr. Because still your most? Because he's the goat, player? man. And can we t- the Knicks most used lineup over their last ten games? Beasley, Hardaway Jr., Cantor, Lee, Moutier. What are you experimenting about with the future for that? <laughs> Whoa, yeah, that's ugly. They're a minus twenty three point four per one hundred. You get D minus. D minus, and I feel I feel like I'm being a little bit generous for that. And I will say that Trey Burke has been good on offense, but he is basically. Like Derrick Rose on defense, but shorter, which is a problem. Yeah, that's like the meanest defensive description you can give somebody. All right, he Derrick, does try harder than Derrick Rose. Who would be a better? He's like no, I think it's fair. He's like a rich man's <laughs> Isaiah Thomas on defense. There you go. Um, he's cooled down a little bit, but his his numbers this season are still pretty dang good. Um, I this is actually the other team in the East that I gave an F to, so I was lower I'm on them. Someone did. <laughs> I I agree wholeheartedly with everything that you just said. Um, have you seen Stefan Bondi's tweet about Emmanuel Moutier's plus minus? 
He's updated it a couple times. So, so Emmanuel Moutier has now played 218 minutes with the Knicks. New York is minus 100 points in those 218 minutes. They're just. Have you looked at his shooting numbers? They're so bad. They're minus 21.8 per hundred possessions with him on the floor. That trade, the moment I heard it, I, I just thought, what are you doing? You have Frank Nilakina. You already brought in Trey Burke, which was kind of confusing in itself. Now you're adding Emmanuel Moutier to this mix. Oh, and Jarrett Jack's there too. Um, Emmanuel Moutier, we talked about those Derrick Rose numbers at the beginning of the podcast. Pretty much the only guy that you'll consistently find worse than Derrick Rose in advanced numbers is Emmanuel Moutier. Um, <laughs> from, from game one of his NBA career, he's been statistically one of the worst players in the NBA. I don't, I don't know what flyer they were taking. If you want... If you want to play a young guy at point guard, just play Frank Nilakina. I don't. I don't understand. Did you what see Jeff Hornacek's quote the other day that he wants to put Jarrett Jack back in the rotation, but he's trying oh to emphasize gosh. the youth? And can, do you want to know what Moutier? I don't even think that reading his effective field goal percentage or true shooting percentage does it justice. Listen to what he's slashing since arriving in New York: thirty-three percent shooting overall, twelve point five percent from three, sixty-three point three percent at the foul line, and wait. Uh, he is shooting, however, sixty-eight point four percent at the rim. So Which is, that's crazy because his shooting numbers were like slightly better in Denver this year, too. That was like the one saving grace for him with well, the, the Nuggets. Knicks don't shoot threes, which is that, that's another coaching. I think it's a personnel and a coaching thing. Again, I'm not Jeff Hornacek's fan. I just think there's so many other things wrong uh, aside from him. I'm Last so thing glad I'll say on the Knicks F, too is uh, they're so crappy. I want them to play, since we've talked about all the point guards, they need to play Trey Burke at the one, Jarrett Jack at the two, Manuel Moody at the three, and Frank Nilakina at the four. I'm fine with then it. I will, <laughs> then um, we can put this next season to rest. The thing I'm interested in watching, and this is why I don't really have a problem with some of the lineups they're playing, because they're so bad that they're kind of re-entering the tank race. They have a better record than the Bulls. I think that the Bulls could end up with a better record than the Knicks. I still think the Nets could get there at 20 and 45, even though the Knicks are four wins ahead or behind them, whatever you want to call it, in the win column. I do not see anyone in the West that might pass them. Dallas is, I, no. Sacramento, definitely not. Phoenix, no. Memphis, no. So they Dallas might, is kind of spunky on a night-to-night basis. Yeah, but they're they're stealthily tanking, even though Mark Cuban told their <laughs> players they're tanking. Like some of their crunch time lineups, you, they clearly just – like punt it on the game um but I, I think the knicks could move up you know one to two spots maybe three if they're super lucky in the lottery odds order and that would be you know that that'd be a nice little consolation prize for them on on what has been objectively a really awful season because they didn't pick up on how good they weren't until after yeah. the Przingis injury um all right do you have anything else on the knicks I have plenty of things, but let's move on to the to the Charlotte Hornets. Oh yeah, okay. What did you give them? I'm interested to hear your takes on them. Um, I gave them a D plus. I just, I coming into the season, I just thought they were going to be so much better than they were. Um, so this is sort of an expectation grade for them, and I think they gave us a little glimpse of what they could have been for a couple games right after the uh, All Star break, but that. And they were that like, quickly, nah. Yeah. <laughs> that quickly faded away again. Um, I've talked about it a bunch of times over the 
the course of the season, both here and on Twitter and in articles. But when Kemba's on the floor, they play like a 46-win team. Again, this is using fats. Um, and when he's off the floor, they play like a 22-win team. They, they were just never equipped uh, to handle any minutes when Kemba wasn't on the floor. And it's, it's torpedoed their whole season. Um, the other thing that's kind of weird to me, I get that Malik Monk has been really bad this season. Uh, there was, I, I think we've reached a point in the season where it's time to, to give him a shot over Michael Carter-Williams, though. At least see what you've got there. So I went with the D-plus for them. They're just, this is more of a season-long expectation grade. I, I came in thinking they were uh, pretty comfortably in the playoffs, so maybe I just misevaluated them, but uh, I certainly thought they would be better. Yeah, Malik Monk is playing a little bit more, but it's still less overall than Michael Carter-Williams. Now, I'm a little bit, I'm being a little bit more optimistic on them, be, I, I think in large part because of the tug of war or roller coaster they've sent me on this season. I gave them a C minus, which still isn't good. Might maybe even a D plus. I'm I'm gonna stick with C minus because I don't really like adding pluses and minuses to D's and F's, and I already did it once with the Knicks because they suck. The Hornets since February first have an offensive rating above 106 when Kemba Walker is off the floor. And a net rating of plus 2.3 overall without him. That's a big deal for me. Yeah. I think, Steve, they're learning a little bit to play with. A little, a little bit. I want to emphasize a little bit. <laughs> um, I think Steve Clifford has gotten outside of the obvious lineup combinations. I've liked some of the stuff. He hasn't this all bench mob of Carter Williams, Travion Graham, Frank Kaminsky, Jeremy Lamb, and Cody Zeller that's playing more minutes now. I, I love seeing that. And what I've been really intrigued by, and I've... Michael Carter-Williams has played a little bit better of late, but Michael Carter-Williams is still not a good NBA player. So I remember when we did, I think, the first edition of these grades, someone got mad at us for grading the Hornets too low because Michael Carter-Williams had not been playing. He was yeah, injured. and they were, I remember that. That was yeah. – um, I found I appreciate him listening, and shout out to him. I don't, I don't remember who it was, but that was – that was an acid trip uh, for us to be thrown by. <laughs> but this is what I've been interested too. So since February 1st um, – the Hornets have really leaned on a Jeremy Lamb, Travion Graham, and Cody Zeller combination without Kemba Walker. And the results are like – they've played with Kemba Walker too, and that lineup has been – when those three play with Kemba, um, they've only played about 18 minutes since February 1st, and, the, and they're a net plus with an astounding offensive rating. When those three – and again, this is Graham, Zeller, Lamb – have played without Walker since February 1st, the Hornets – are a plus 13.1 points per 100 possession. 114 offensive rating, 101 defensive rating. And it's over a 100-minute sample size. That's encouraging. Like, now you yeah. it looks like you've unlocked some depth. And I, that's going to be important if they decide not to rebuild. But this is also dangerous for them. We know they're not bringing back Rich Cho. What are they trying to accomplish by doing this? Is that Are you making a change just for the sake of you can't make change elsewhere since you are capped out to the moon? Or are you going to give the new regime a chance to – I love Steve Clifford, but are you going to give them a chance to rebuild even if that includes moving on from Steve Clifford? And we have to wait and see who they hire and how they go about the process. They have opened up, according to Woj, their uh, interview searches beyond – Mitch Kupchak, former GM of, of the Los Angeles Lakers and fel, fellow Tar Heel there with 
Michael Jordan, the owner. I'm interested to see if this stretch to close the season, maybe another losing streak will ensure that the Hornets don't read too much into it, but you don't want to see them not rebuild because all of a sudden it's like, well, you know, we're actually better than expected. Look at what we've been able to do over part of the stretch run of the season. Yeah, I'm in on all that. Um, Anything else on the Hornets? No, we're about to get to a really sad team that I don't really think I have any words on. I'll let you start. Pistons. 29 and 36 Detroit Pistons, who, what was it, two weeks ago I predicted would make the playoffs. Um, I think they've maybe won like a game or two since that prediction, so my apologies, Detroit Pistons fans. Hasn't the NBA actually taken some of their wins away since then, too? <laughs> if not, they should have. Um, they're, they're pretty much done. I think the last time I looked at playoff project- projections, I think the, the site that was most optimistic, most optimistic about them Gave them like a two or three percent chance to make the playoffs. Um, the Hornets have overtaken. The them Hornets had, had passed right? them somewhere, yeah, and I I don't know if that's still true, but they had for a little bit. Oh, I'm, oh, I'm looking at it right now. So five thirty eight gives the Hornets a nine percent chance of making the playoffs. The Pistons wow. a three percent chance. Congratulations so to the that. Charlotte Hornets. Yeah. <laughs> um, the Blake Griffin DeAndre or not? I, I, that's a relapse there. Blake Griffin, Andre Drummond combo was really good in those first few games. Um, at this point, it's now minus one point two points per hundred possessions when it's on the floor. Um, so that's not great, but it is better than the, the team's overall minus three point three since they picked up Griffin. Um, so there's two things that are weird to me with with this team right now, mm-hmm. um, and not just two. It's just the two that I'm going to say. Blake Griffin is shooting 41.8% from the field and thirty-one point, just 31% from three since he's come over. Um, those two numbers are tough to survive if you're taking as many shots as Griffin does. And then the one that's really weird to me is the reason that I was kind of high on Detroit and they were semi-entertaining to me for most of the season was they had completely changed the kind of player Andre Drummond was. Before... The Blake Griffin trade, he was averaging 3.9 assists. He was suddenly one of these passing big men. And I think it just completely altered his career. Since Griffin's been there, he's averaging 1.6 assists. And I get that Griffin has the ball in his hands a ton, and he's averaging 5.6 assists with the Pistons, and you want to take advantage of his playmaking. But I think you unlock so much by having a, a playmaking passing five, too. And I don't... I. I'm bothered by the fact that they just took that away from him. I think you can appease both of those guys' uh, passing ability. So that was weird to me. I don't think I've said my letter grade for them yet. This losing streak has, like we said, tanked their playoff hopes. Um, but I don't think they're quite as bad off as the Knicks and Magic. So I gave them a D-. minus. They've, they've just been so bad lately. I actually gave them a D- minus too, putting them right in line with the Knicks and... You know, they're kind of, they could continue if they're losing streak, if they just continue to drop games. Maybe we see more of just Henry Ellison and more of Luke Kennard. That's been the Yeah, why thing. hasn't Luke Kennard been playing? Keep going. Pistons that Twitter so actually asked the same question. I, so here's the thing. When you cover the entire league, you, there are some questions that arise that I'm always hesitant to ask because it's like, well, I don't want, if I watch a game and a half of the Pistons a week or two games of the Pistons a week um, or, or maybe not even that much is just because am I missing something about Luke Kennard? But no, 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 Luke Kennard just does not play enough. And, I, you know, and I still find it hysterical that Langston Galloway is always this 
I, I, maybe this is overstating it, but he, he seems like a coin toss to play, and yet this is the guy that you ca- hard-capped yourselves for over the summer. So that's kind of another stain against Stan Van Gundy's resume. I've been curious as to why the Pistons don't... I understand you want to play your what you believe to be your two best players at the same time, but when your two best players are Griffin and Drummond, they might need more kind of separate time. They're averaging about nine minutes apart per game right now, and that's that's not a ton. I don't know if it's just because uh, they're so untenable during those minutes where even Griffin plays on his own. His shooting percentages have declined when Andre Drummond isn't on the floor. He shoots 37% from three with Drummond on the floor, 32%. Uh, when Drummond is off the floor, I, I just I don't know why you wouldn't go s- separately to them a little bit more. Maybe it's because you don't really have the playmakers to complement them in separate lineups. Ish Smith might be your most valuable player right now because of that dynamic. They need these just playmaking wings, floor spacers around them, and the, the Pistons just don't have enough. Even when you look at some of their better shooters, like Reggie Bullock is probably a league average shooter. Stanley Johnson. Uh, who is currently dealing with some back issues? He's been shooting the lights out of the ball lately, but that hasn't really helped. You just you need more of these proven options that are just decidedly above average shooters, and I don't think they have enough of them. Which is why I also think that they should be playing Luke Kennard more because he's someone that you can at least look at. Uh, and I remember watching him and Tobias Harris play at the same time when when Tobias was still on this team, thinking that's like an interesting combination. But you have Kennard, who's shooting forty two point seven percent from the floor on two point three attempts per game. Like that's not you know that that's not nothing. It's almost five attempts per thirty six minutes. So I, I would like to see them play him more, particularly down the stretch now that their playoff chances are just nil. That that game, if it, their hopes weren't dashed already when they lost to the Heat, it was just that's when it was just over. yeah, it's over. Um. Okay, so we both gave them a D minus. That brings us to the Bucks, right? Yes, I'm interested uh, to see what you gave the Bucks. Very, very interested. <laughs> I gave the Bucks a C minus, so <laughs> that puts them right in line with a couple of twenty and forty five teams, at least in terms of my grades. Um, the reason I, I mean, I, I almost feel like I could go even lower, uh, but they are in the playoff hunt. I just, I just feel like they should be better. They have. To me, one of the five best players in the NBA right now uh, in Yanni Antetokounmpo, um, and I, I don't, I don't know. I just feel like they should be better. I, I think a big part of it is the bench for most of this season. Whenever they've had uh, Yanni, Bledsoe, Middleton, you just call him and, Yanni. Um, yeah, me and my wife were just talking about this last night. The reason I do is Tas Melis, who is Greek, says that's how you pronounce it. All right, then that's fine. He said it on the starter. Um, so that's what I go with. But anyway, Henson is the last guy in that lineup I'm thinking of. Generally, they've been really good when those guys are on the floor. Um, you deviate from that much, and they, they start to struggle. Um, obviously, they the issues with Kidd were so great that they eventually had to move on from him. But now we're starting to see some weird things with Joe Prunty, too. You texted me the other night, why do the Bucks close so many games with Jason Terry? Which is a valid question. Um I, I get that Malcolm Brogdon and Matthew Dellavedova are out right now, but Jason Terry's got to be in his forties now, right? If he's not, he's, I think he's, he's in his fifties. Like, I like, <laughs> <laughs> and I like Jason Terry, but um, there's just some weird stuff going on there. And I, I've said it a few times. I just can't shake the feeling that they should be better than thirty-four and thirty-one. 
I don't know if they just consider themselves so desperate for shooting that that's why you have Jason Terrian, but he, he's not shooting an unremarkable percentage from three this year, 35.7% uh, from deep. And when it's a matter of playing him or Tony Snell, I don't necessarily understand it. And you, you, you said to me, well, maybe it's because Brogdon and Della Vadova are out. And I'm just like, you have Bledsoe and, and Giannis on the floor. You don't need to have Jason Terry. And he got switched on to Chris Paul in their loss to Houston in crunch time when they kind of made it close. And it was just, it, it was just like it, he got cooked. Like he stayed with him, but Chris Paul just bullied his way from beyond the three point line all the way to the basket. And I don't, I, you're going to put him on the floor. You're going to be a defensive liability. And but you're also losing a guy who can be kind of a, a driver so so to speak because the bucks have since february 1st they have the fourth lowest free throw rate in crunch time in the league and that's amazing to me because you rely on someone like Giannis Antetokounmpo who still gets to the basket in crunch time he's a liability because if they force him into a jumper uh, there are some issues there but i looked the other day and uh, still more than half of his shots come in the restricted area during crunch time, which is just about the same of what he's doing on the season overall. So to have that low of a free throw rate, when you really like to bully Chris Middleton, he does these post-ups. You have Eric Bledsoe, who should be more of an attacker as well. That's a failure. And to put Jason Terry on the floor, that's not going to help the situation. I, I'm just... I'm flummoxed. The fact that the Bucks have a top 10 offense in crunch time for the year is mind-boggling to me. They're 17th since February 1st, which seems to track with some of their performances. I get why you wouldn't have Jabari Parker playing down the stretch of games right off the bat, but you need... This, this team still just needs spacing and a guy like Tony Snell who's going to help you defend and be more switchy. There's no way, and this has only been bait, really a recent trend, but Jason Terry should not be playing over him. And in the game against the Rockets, they were playing Sterling Brown too, which interesting, but you're also not a rebuilding team. I just didn't, I didn't necessarily understand that combination. So I'm, I'm just, some of their decision-making, I'm just really flummoxed by, and that holds to both Jason Kidd um, and Joe Prunty. I gave them a C minus and I considered going D because when, when the season started, here's how I look at the Bucks through this prism. Would you have said that they would have been closer to the lottery than they are to the second seed in the East? I don't think I, I don't think you would would have said that at the beginning of the year. Yeah, that's definitely not acceptable. All right, with the Bucks out of the way, that brings us to the Miami Heat, who are now the seventh seed in the Eastern Conference as of this recording. Anyway, that might change. They have the same record as the Bucks. I'm I'm curious to see what grade you gave them, Andy. I, I've they were really tough for me, and they've just had these like random moments of greatness. But there have been a lot of moments of oh boy, this this roster is not really good. You have Dwayne Wade balling at points, Josh Richardson balling at points. What did you end up giving them? I gave them a B. Um, I don't really feel very strongly about this team one way or the one way or the other. They haven't disappointed me too much at any point. They haven't like blown me away too much. And I guess maybe we kind of should have seen this coming uh, with the offseason that they had. I, they got a lot of criticism for some of the contracts they signed this summer. It was sort of like we're just sort of locking ourselves into a team that will be around 500, and that's exactly what they are. Um, 
the one stat that I found that was kind of interesting when I was prepping for the pod is um, when Whiteside's on the floor without Olenek, Miami's minus 2.2 points per 100 possessions. And when Olenek's on the floor without Whiteside, they're plus 4.6. So he, Whiteside's still their highest paid player, right? Yeah. So <laughs> it seems like their their ceiling is when he's not on the floor, which is another sort of interesting wrinkle. But I, I couldn't get I couldn't get too riled up one way or the other of this team. I, I feel like my B grade kind of um, signifies that. I actually gave him a C plus for the season, just because I think if you're going to invest that much money in the roster over the summer, you should probably be hoping for more than a seven seed and, and basically putting yourself on pace to win like 42, 43 games or whatever it is at this point for them. I could probably be talking to a B O minus or something like that. Uh, one of the things I really am looking forward to now that Ronnie Magruder is back is that lineup of him, Tyler Johnson, Kelly Olenek, Dwayne Wade, and Justice Winslow was super fun to watch. I think I saw, I saw them twice, and I was actually remember looking for the pod. I think they've only appeared in two games together, which would make sense since Wade came over midseason and Magruder is only uh, just coming back from injury. And they they were just fun. I don't know what that lineup does for you down the stretch of the season, what it does against certain opponents, but it seems to just have a nice mix of every of everything. Probably a little short on spacing, but everyone can handle the ball. Kelly Olynyk has been really good for them. Uh, in when he when he's on the court, the Heat are just good in general. Over his last five appearances, they're outscoring opponents by seventeen point one points per hundred possessions when Olynyk is in the game, with a one hundred and twenty five point one offensive rating. So, so that's something that to look forward to. And just one of their biggest problems, like you said, is some of their best, if not their absolute best lineups, aren't going to include their highest paid player. And it's tough to really what to make of that. What do you do? Forget the regular season. What happens in the playoffs? Can you get away yeah. with playing Whiteside? He's playing 26 minutes a game over his last 10. Can you get away with putting him at 20 without him griping? I don't know that you can. Probably not. Um, so that'll be an interesting thing to pay attention to. That brings us to the Sixers. Um, you can take this one first. They're 35 and 28. I'm expecting them almost to catch the number four seed in the East, which is why I ended up giving them an, an A minus for the season. And we have to take a lot of things into account for them. Markel Fultz has appeared in four games this season, wasn't good, was injured. People have questions about his jump shot. The bench has been bad for most of this year. Ben Simmons is a rookie and he controls uh, a large majority of the offensive Offense's livelihood. They're a really good defensive team, even with certain lineups where Joel Embiid isn't on the floor. They're fifth in defensive rating overall, but they've done about the past uh, maybe six to eight weeks, they've had a lot of these lineups that are elite defensively where Ben Simmons is kind of just their de facto number one, and, and he's improved defensively as well. Robert Cummington has been great for them all year. You added depth to the bench now all of a sudden with Marco Bellinelli and Ersan Ilyasova. I've been really impressed for pretty much the entire year by Dario Saric. I don't know that I I thought he would play this well all year just because you have to put him a lot of the time at the three or that was the projection. But at the same time, can you really play Ben Simmons as a one? You thought there'd be an awkward dynamic there, but, but Philly really hasn't cared. And Saric over his last 10 games 
is shooting 48.7% overall and 43.9% from downtown. He He's just been great for them. I think this team is going to end up doing some real damage in the playoffs, maybe. Even just, like, certain little things, the the Joel Embiid, Rachon Holmes combination, which gets deployed in small measured doses, like, that's just been destroying opponents when it's on the court. So I, it, I like this team. And then, again, you have Joel Embiid, who I think has to be the odds-on favorite for Defensive Player of the Year. I don't know how you don't like this team unless you're just really worried about how they look sometimes when they're closing games and where their inexperience kind of shows. But here's something to consider in the clutch. Since February 1st, uh, they have a 128.4 offensive rating in crunch time, 94.8 defensive rating for a net rating of 33.6. The only teams in front of them during that time are the Blazers, Rockets, and Jazz. So all Western Conference teams, too, that are on hot streaks. That's crazy. Yep. Um, I gave them an A-2. I will echo everything that you said there. Um, it was the the bench that was mostly holding them back this season. That starting five has been at or near the top of the league basically all year long. Um, but adding adding Ilyasova and Bellinelli, I think, is going to help a lot. The one thing I looked up before we started recording: when Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid are on the floor, Philly's plus thirteen point eight points per hundred possessions, which is really really good. Um, they've played over a thousand minutes together too. There's, there's only three, two men lineups that have been better this season. They're all from the Warriors. Oh my God. It's, um, Stephen Curry and Clay Thompson, Stephen Curry and Draymond Green and Stephen Curry and Kevin Durant. Those are the only duos with at least a thousand minutes that have a better net rating than Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, both of whom are in their early twenties. Um, <laughs> this team is good. And they're already good, and they're going to get better. I did that. Uh, I, I averaged the wins projections from 538 ESPN and Basketball Reference the other day, and they actually had the Sixers passing the Cavs and finishing third, which is not going to happen. A, but yeah. yeah, I was going to say it's a little aggressive, but they do have a pretty easy remaining schedule. Like I said, the bench is bolstered now. I think they are. Um, somebody asked me the other day too. Can you pick one team? other than the Celtics that could possibly push the Cavs. And that was, that was my answer. I don't think I would pick them in a series with the Cavs, but they, like you said, they are certainly going to be interesting uh, in the postseason. And now I did. I, yeah. I said, I gave them an A minus. Yeah. Um, they do right, have, which help, which really helps them the easiest remaining schedule in the league. It's not even just kind of yep. easy. It's still the remaining easiest remaining schedule in the league. That, that is my last note, but, but yeah, that I, I think they might get to fourth just because the Wizards don't have Wall and, and the Pacers don't have Collison and Victor Oladipo has been kind of slipping his shooting percentages lately anyway, but th- that the that makes the Pacers interesting to talk about, and they, they are next. They're number five in the Eastern Conference right now. I also gave them an A-, minus, and they're, they don't have a lot of depth on paper, but I like how they're able to just, without Collison, they're able to plug in Corey Joseph into the starting lineup, and that combination still kind of hums, and yet they just seem to get production from all of their most used guys, even if they're not particularly deep, and one of the things that's been encouraging, and I'm sure buttressed by their starting five success itself, 
over his last 10 games, Victor Oladipo is shooting under 25% from three and under 42% from the floor overall. And the Pacers are still a plus 5.2 points per 100 possessions with him on the floor, which I think shows how important he kind of is to their defensive success. And they've just gotten a little bit better on the defensive end since they've had to play Corey Joseph uh, a little bit more. They are, over their last 10 games, fourth in defensive rating in the league. You know, semi-small sample, but 10 games isn't uh, completely insubstantial, I wouldn't say, either. And they're they're getting some good games from Bogdanovich. Uh, Miles Turner, his rim protection has declined, and I'm not sure if he's just—they're they're trying to have him do more on defense on certain nights, it looks like. Also, he's just not surrounded. You have Bogdanovich when he's on the court a lot. He's not going to be a good defender. He was playing with Collison, who isn't the best defender himself. Uh, but he has been sensational on the offensive end this year, kind of low-key. And over his last 10 games, in under 30 minutes per game, he's averaging 13.3 points, shooting 52.3% overall and 39.1% from deep, while getting to the line you know, four times a game. Uh, which is the only other ones on the team that are getting there more, Bogdanovich and Oladipo, the guys who are just their primary points of attack. Th- this roster is going to be super interesting uh, once they get to the playoffs. Uh, I believe I said I gave them an A-, minus, and it might just be because I'm wondering what aspects of this are going to be sustainable. Can they be a good defensive and really good offensive unit at the same time? They've also lost some just uncomfortable games, like the one against the Jazz the other night where they just really weren't competitive. They're 16 and eight. Yeah. yeah, they're they're 16 and 18 against above 500 teams overall, but I wouldn't say no to a, a Pacers Sixers first round series. Uh even Pacers Wizards, NBA TV probably gets that one, but I I would still watch it. The Pacers are one of my guilty pleasure teams and both of us were or at least I was super low on them to start the season and, and clearly I'm eating a shit ton of crow right now. Yeah, I was actually going to start what I was talking about by saying I, I wasn't as low as on them as many other people. I apologize for misspeaking. <laughs> we talked, I think it's maybe because the uh, the Pacers preview pod this summer was just me and Grant Afseth, and we kind of went back and forth on, we. I mean, I didn't think they would be this good, and I was, I was like cautiously optimistic on them, but the, I actually gave them an A, uh, and the reason is even I didn't see them being this good, which I, I just said. Um, they are competing for home court advantage in the first round, which I don't think anybody could have seen coming. I thought they would be competing for like eighth in the East. And I thought that would be a good season for them. Um, obviously it has a ton to do with Victor Oladipo. I, I heard, uh, Mark Titus, he's from Indiana. He's on a lot of ringer podcasts. He was saying if Victor Oladipo plays like this for, you know, and he's in Indiana for like 10 years or something, he could pass up Reggie Miller in oh, terms geez. of like yeah. Pacers folklore, which is crazy. Um, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that he was a Hoosier too. So he, he kind of starts <laughs> he starts from a um, more beloved place than maybe Reggie did. Mm-hmm. But he's been unreal. Uh, this season, he tops Paul George in points, assists, steals, and blocks per game. Offensive box plus minus, defensive box plus minus, and PER. Uh, so they, that was a trade that everyone, I, I, I don't remember seeing anybody that was not hard on the Pacers for making that deal. And I think at this point, it's, 
it's safe to say they they did just fine in that trade because Jamonis Sabonis has had he's done some good things for them too. So they have outperformed even my expectations, and I w- I feel like I was maybe higher on them than most people. So I feel pretty comfortable giving them an A. Yeah, I I just I'm probably just nitpicking with the minus. Um, that brings us to the Washington Wizards, who remain without John Wall after he underwent his knee. Debridement. They have a winning record without him. They're still nine games over 500. They have the fourth seed. Is it? I, I'm wondering if I'm being too hard on them. I almost gave them a C plus this season. But again, you're missing John Wall, uh, who's dealt with injuries kind of on and off this year. I ended up going with a B minus because nothing about them just stands out to me anymore. I don't trust their defense. I don't necessarily even trust their bench with the emergence of Sadoransky. Uh, who has been uh, pretty good for them in John Wall's absence. I, I really like Kelly Uber Jr. I love Bradley Beal. I just I don't trust anything about them, and I don't think they're elite in any one area this year. Their, their offensive shot profile is terrible. Their defensive shot profile isn't good either, particularly. They have opponents, uh, 67% of their looks are coming at the rim or beyond or from beyond the arc, they rank essentially in the bottom 10 of shot attempt frequency in both categories allowed at the rim and beyond the arc. That's going to be something that could catch up to them in the playoffs, as is when they're feasting on just, you know, a, a lot of long mid-range looks. They're third in the league, according to Clean the Glass, on long mid-rangers uh, frequency-wise. And yes, they're hitting them at a fairly high clip, almost 42% of the time, which is close to the top 10 in the league, but that's not a high percentage shot. And that's something that could get exposed in the postseason as well. And I, I just thought I would see more progress from them. And again, they're 500 against five op- opponents with 500 records or above. That's pretty good considering when you've missed wall for so long. I just, I don't trust them even a little bit. And I thought that they would be one of the teams where you're mentioning Philly as the squad that could give the Cavaliers a, a dark horse run for their money in the playoffs. I thought along with the Bucks that the Wizards would be right there this season. And I don't think we can say that even a little bit right now. Otto so Porter is still a god him, though. That's the other Yeah, thing. he's been awesome. Um, I actually gave him a B plus. I, I, that's obviously, that sounds a lot higher than uh, what you were on them. I, I just don't, they have a really good starting five. I've never really trusted anyone beyond that bench. So I don't feel like they've fallen too, too far short of expectations. Um, Kelly Oubre solid. Jan Mahinmi was solid a couple of years ago, but I just, I didn't expect them to be knocking on the door of like real contention this season. So they're, they're not too far off where I expected um, and then I think one of the things that boosts their grade for me is actually Sadoransky, who you mentioned. Um, maybe I'm not going to go, I'm not going to say this is like a surefire Ewing theory <laughs> candidate, but while Beal, and I think I mentioned this on at least, it's been, it, it was on this podcast at some point. Um, their regular starting five is plus 6.4 points per 100 possessions. When you swap Sadoransky for Wall, it's plus 12.8, and the minutes is not insignificant. Like there's a decent sample size there. And Sadoransky since Wall went down is averaging 11.4 points, 5.8 assists, 3.6 rebounds, 1.1 steals, shooting 58% from the field, 56 from 3, 93 from the line and that's a 700 true shooting percentage. Um do I think Thomas Sadoransky is a better player than John Wall? Clearly not. Obviously not. I don't think anybody would say that. 
Um, but there's something to having a ball mover and a guy who can hit an open shot in that role. And maybe you, you allow Beal to do a little bit more of what he's capable of doing. Um, and it sounds weird to say that John Wall is not a ball mover because he always averages so many assists. But he, he's the kind of guy who he kind of commands a, a possession until he gets that assist. Whereas with Sadoransky, I think they can play more of like the ball is, is constantly moving. The players are moving a little bit more. I, I think they can do some things offensively with this lineup that it, it's just not as easy with, with John Wall. So I, I, I think there's some reason for, for optimism with this team. Like you said, Otto Porter's great. Um, that the fast projections I did the other day, he, he was one of the most positive guys. Uh, I ran through the system. So I, there's a lot to like with the, the wizards for me. I don't think, like you said, I don't think they're going to like push the calves in a series or anything, but I, they're just about where I expected them to be. Do you think that they're going to make it out of the first round if they don't, let's say they don't, if face they the play, Cavs? if they play like the Pacers, I think they would, um, I'm not even ready to go that far for them. That, again, I, like I said, I just, for some reason, I don't trust them. I feel like they have – Victor Oladipo is awesome, but I think once you get down to like third, fourth guys, I feel like Washington has a little bit more talent. Um, I think the Bucks would be a pretty even series for them, even though Milwaukee would clearly have the best player in that series. Uh, they'll, they'll be in a dogfight probably in the first round, that's for sure. That brings us to – everyone's favorite I, I don't even know what we call them they're not really a crap show anymore but they're they're definitely some top-notch theater that's the cleveland cavaliers i gave them i'm i'm like hedging between a b minus and a b i'm going with b minus just because i don't think that a team that has perhaps the greatest player of all time should be going through so many like character issues behind the scenes but yeah uh i i could easily go a b and and their stock is rising are, are you ready for some for some really expert trolling right here. Yes. In 2015-2016, the year the Cavs won the championship, Kyrie Irving, LeBron James, and Kevin Love were a plus 13.7 points per 100 possessions when they were on the floor. Last year, 2016-2017, those three, plus 8.8 points per 100 possessions when they were on the floor together. I would just like to state that LeBron James, Larry Nance, and Chetty Osman have a plus 50.1 net rating in the time <laughs> that they've spent together on the floor. Uh, it's only been eight minutes, but the George Hill, LeBron that James. That was worth it. Yeah, the George Hill, LeBron James, Larry Nance Jr. combination, that's been really good, plus 27.6 points per hundred possessions. Larry Nance, you know, forget that he's just switchier and helps the Cavs a lot in the middle. He covers up a lot for LeBron James, too, who has not been – He's never really been interested in trying on defense over recent years, but he seems particularly disinterested in the half court this year. Um, he's just been absolutely like like sensational. Um, and low-key, this is what's great. If we're looking at uh, guys who have crossed the 1,000 minutes threshold total, he's the, can you name me the last three players – to clear his benchmarks of 14 points, 10 rebounds, two assists, and two steals per 36 minutes. Uh, I have no idea. La so Larry Nance is doing it this year. David Robinson was the last player wow. to do it in 91-92. Hakeem Olajuwon did it three times Jeez. in the late 80s, early 90s. And then Charles Barkley did it in 85-86. 
That's insane. That he's just been so good for them. I think I don't think they're going to waltz back to the NBA Finals. I'm I'm very interested to see how they'll hold up against the Celtics' defense if they face them. But I'm more interested in seeing a potential matchup with the Raptors. I think they ultimately get back to the NBA Finals. I'll be shocked if it's a waltz like it was last year. But I, I think this team is better off and. The competition, the level of competition is a caveat. They're 10th in defensive rating over their last 10 games. So that's kind of a sign that they might be headed in the right direction as well. It's it's better than last, that's for sure. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's just a little better than last. I gave them a C plus. You said B minus, right? Yeah. So we're pretty close there. Um, I don't know. They have LeBron James. I feel like they should probably be a little bit better than 38 and 26. But like you said, there are some positive signs since they made all those deals. Um, I looked up the two-man lineup of when, when LeBron and Nance are both on the floor, who he let, he better be their starting center for the rest of the season. Um, Especially if they're, they're going to put Kevin Love back in the starting lineup, which I yeah, assume Yeah, for they sure. Would. It just makes so much more. From the moment he was traded, he should have been the starting center. Yep. But anyway, he's when those two are on the floor, Cleveland's plus 58 in 156 minutes. That's plus 18.4 points per 100 possessions. Um, so they are really good. And just watching those two guys play together, I feel like they've already developed a little bit of chemistry, which is cool. Um, LeBron knows how to get the ball to Nance in good spots, which is, you know, that's not surprising. LeBron's been doing that for guys for years and years and years. Um, I also thought from the moment they acquired George Hill that he just made so much more sense than the other point guards that they had there, uh, for this season. So I am, I'm with you. I think it'll probably end up being the Raptors and the Cavaliers in the Eastern Conference Finals. And I'm pretty sure it'll <laughs> pretty sure it'll be the Cavaliers in the Finals again. Um, the Raptors have been awesome, and I'm sure we'll talk about this when we get to them, but LeBron James is LeBron James, and even though I'm giving him a C+, it's, it's just really hard for me to, to not see that team finding another gear in the playoffs. I'm also trying to get used to a world in which LeBron James just takes a ton of pull-up jumpers, and they, they actually they, I, feel <laughs> the end like, of that... I feel like they're going in. The end of that Nuggets game was insane. That he just his thirty those fallaways from the baseline, um, those those were very very hard shots, and they weren't even touching the rim. Like they were barely touching the net. I know it was crazy. It's just like to reinvent yourself, kind of like like that. I just don't because he's he's shooting over thirty seven percent on pull up three pointers this year, and. <laughs> That's close to a top 10 mark among players who are averaging at least three pull-up three-pointers attempts per game. Uh, the fact, First of all, 3.4 pull-up three-pointers per game, uh, or 3.3 is what he's at according to NBA.com right now, that I, I, that's about 15th most in the league. LeBron James ranks 15th in about 15th, I'm, I'm eyeballing this right now, in the league on pull-up three-pointers. That's just like that's just not an evolution you ever would have expected him to undergo, and yet here he is, and he's doing it, and he's doing it semi-efficiently. It's incredible. I don't know what you're supposed to do with him if he's hitting threes like that. What are you going um, to do with that, the Celtics, who remain second in yeah. the Eastern Conference? What, are, what grade are you giving them? I'm giving them an A. They've cooled off significantly recently. Um, but I just... <laughs> When Gordon Hayward went down, I could not have imagined a team that would comfortably clear 50 wins. I thought they would be battling to be around 500, uh, battling to be in the playoffs. They have just blown those expectations out of the water. 
Uh, their defense has been ridiculous all season. You mentioned Joel Embiid as as uh, Defensive Player of the Year candidate. I think Al Horford has a pretty good case too. Um, the one, the thing that I, the reason I thought they would be around 500 when Hayward went down, I just thought when you were relying that much on young guys, it's going to be tough. Um, and Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum were playing out of their minds for the first few months of the season. Since Christmas, both of those guys are posting a below-average true shooting percentage. Um, Tatum's is about 4% below average. So those guys are finally coming back down to earth a little bit, and I think that's why we've seen a little bit of a regression from the Celtics. But overall, this this team has just vastly uh, overperformed what I thought they would, given given how this season started. That, that injury and an 0-2 start, it was like, are they even going to make the playoffs? Um, and at this point, they're they're like a surefire fifty win team. So, and they'll be, they'll be pushing sixty. Like they could get up around fifty six, fifty seven. So, they were much much better than I thought they would be. I gave them an A. I gave them an A too, and I was tempted to go A minus because their offense has just been weird of late. But again, they don't have Gordon Hayward, and he we've I've at least criticized them a little bit for not going harder for another shot creator at the trade deadline. But Gordon Hayward addresses everything else that you would possibly need on the offensive end. Um when he comes back next year. The only thing that they might lack, and they have the league-best defense, so it doesn't matter, they don't... Al Horford is great, and I'm about to get to him, but he's not like that lockdown defender. He switches so much, though, maybe maybe he's on the fringes of that. Now, this being said, the Al Horford slander needs to fucking stop. This is <laughs> out of control at people who look at his per-game numbers and don't understand his value. I'm going to rattle off some things here. The Celtics, with Kyrie Irving and Al Horford plus 6.3 points per 100 possessions. The Celtics with just Kyrie, no Horford, plus 1.2 per 100 possessions. The Celtics with Horford and no Kyrie, plus 9.2 points per 100 possessions. Now, here's the other thing that gets me, is no, he doesn't just obliterate the box score in one area, but he kind of fills it up in a bunch of different categories. Since 1990, five other players minimum of 100 minutes threshold that i'm that i'm using since 1990 five other players have averaged at least 14 points eight rebounds five assists and one block per 36 minutes they are kevin durant kevin garnett Giannis Antetokounmpo, demarcus cousins and draymond green al horford would be the sixth he is right there among these modern like bigs as just super effective he sets great screens he's a, a pretty good roller of the basket he's a good three-point shooter uh, he and again his defense he like tries to get back in transition which you don't see from a from a lot of bigs when they're trailing the play he actually goes after it he's he's a pretty good switcher for someone his size he's my second vote for defensive player of the year and i just don't the slander for him is just ridiculous i totally agree um He's a yeah. I, everything you just said, I, I echo one hundred percent. That, is that the takes Raptors. us to the yeah the Very the easy. Toronto Raptors. Um, this is an easy A plus for me. I know I just said I, I think I'm going to pick the Cavaliers to go to the finals, but we've talked about Dwayne Casey as coach of the year. I think Demar Derozan has found another level uh, this season. Kyle Lowry has been himself. My favorite stat with this team right now: there are 115 players in the NBA this season who've played at least 1,000 minutes and have a box plus minus over zero, uh, the Raptors have nine of those guys. The Blazers oh have – it's crazy. The Blazers have six. That's the team with the second most, not even close. Um, the Rockets, Jazz, and Spurs have five. 
No other team has more than four. The Raptors have nine. It's the deepest team in the league. Um, their internal development has been insane. It's it's an easy A plus for me. I have two quick 10-second notes on them. One, I, I've been shocked by their defense, which I believe is, is still in the top three. It was outperforming their offense at one point. They are up to, or they've dropped, I guess, a little bit. I'm looking at that. Oh, they're third in defensive rating as opposed to fourth in offensive rating. I think their defense is sustainable just because of kind of the conservative approach that Dwayne Casey uses. And the final update on their all-bench unit of C.J. Miles, Jakob Pertl, Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Fleet, and Dellen Wright. They have played 233 minutes, which is the Raptors' second most used lineups. They're still destroying opponents by more than 24 points per 100 possessions. It's A unbelievable. A plus. Yeah, that that bench, um, it has been ridiculous. And DeMar DeRozan, is, he's cold. Yeah, for sure. All right, that is it. Uh, we have run through the entire Eastern Conference. If you want to gripe about any of the grades that we've handed out today, you can find us on Twitter, Dan's at Dan Favalli, F-A-V-A-L-E. Uh, I'm at Andrew D. Bailey. The show is at Hardwood Knox. The sponsor is at NBA underscore math. And as always, uh, we implore you to rate, review, subscribe, um, tell other people to do the same. You will bless and enrich their lives if they subscribe to our podcast. Um, and until next time, we leave you with a shout out to Bino Udri and Kyle Anderson. Breaking up is hard to do, but when it comes to your wireless carrier, you should have left a while ago. You're over the big three carriers. You deserve better. Xfinity Mobile. Now you can get unlimited with 5G included for just $30 a month on the nation's fastest, most reliable network. So break free from the big three and save with Xfinity Mobile. Take the savings challenge at XfinityMobile.com slash MySavings to see how much you can save when you get Xfinity Mobile and Internet together. Reduced speeds at 20 gigabytes per line. Most reliable based on Root Metrics U.S. report. Results vary, not an endorsement.